This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach, heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and today I'm truly delighted to welcome to the program one of the greatest gifts to our country, a broadcasting legend, mental health advocate, indefatigable fundraiser, and one of the nation's most inspiring trailblazers. And of course, I'm speaking about one of Canada's most popular and respected television hosts and journalists, Valerie Pringle. I've been a fan ever since Valerie co-hosted CBC Midday, the national news magazine television program, with her inimitable smile that lights up the room and that unmistakable girl-next-door likability. Valerie Pringle has enjoyed a distinguished career as a broadcaster and journalist for more than 40 years. That's pretty incredible. She was a well-known anchor of two national news programs, Midday on CBC, as just mentioned, and Canada AM on CTV, where she covered major stories of the day from national elections and royal weddings to space launches and natural disasters. She has reported from Mount Kilimanjaro to Haida Gwaii, and she has hosted several television series, including the Canadian Antiques Roadshow and Valerie Pringle Has Left the Building. I even remember, Valerie, when you co-hosted the Gemini Awards back in 1994. I was there. <laughs> in recent years, Valerie has taken her leadership skills to the nonprofit world. So she has championed AIDS research for CANFAR, not only raising valuable funds, but working to remove the stigma from the disease. She also played a key role in building the Trans-Canada Trail across the country, working for more than 20 years to realize its vision. And she's become a tireless advocate for the treatment of mental illness, currently serving as chair of the Center for Addiction and Mental Health Foundation. In 2006, she was made a member of the Order of Canada for her work in broadcasting and philanthropy. She received an honorary doctorate from Ryerson University in 2010 and is an honorary fellow of the Royal Canadian Geographic Society. Valerie Pringle, I am so happy to welcome you to Finding Your Bliss. Thank you, Judy. Holy moly. <laughs> You've done a lot. You've done <laughs> Actually, a lot. it's almost it. This summer, it's going to be 50 years since I started as a good news reporter on CFRB radio. That's 50 years. It's just like shocking. That's what I was going to start with exactly there is, and I remember that you worked as a good news reporter at CFRB and you were one of 10, I believe. There were a number of you initially. And Miss, then, were you in a pram, Miss? <laughs> no, I, well, I'm just, I know someone who had the job after and it was legendary <laughs> that Valerie Pringle held this position as a student reporter and you had to find good news and happy and fun stories and report on them, which really goes so beautifully with your personality. They nailed it. Can you take us back to those days and what your first foray into journalism was like? Well, I've always said going to Ryerson now, you know, Toronto Met University, you know, was the second best decision I ever made, you know, marrying my my husband, <laughs> which was happening around the same time was, was the other one. But it was interesting. I had a guidance counselor, Judy, when I was finishing grade 13, which we still had at that time. 
and no idea. Really, I'll go to university, brother, sister, you know, uninspired really by it, who turned to me and said, what are you interested in? <laughs> no one had ever asked me that. I mean, it's such a simple question, such a brilliant question. And I remember saying, oh, and news and current affairs. And I love to show on the CBC at that time, this hour has seven days. And I'm, you know, reading magazines. And you know, I could identify that as an 18-year-old that was interesting to me. So, you know, and he said, God bless him, Charlie Hawks, you should look at Ryerson. You know, would you make journalism or radio and television? And all of a sudden, whoa, I went there and it was, you know, just so interesting, you know, the programming and it was focused on a career and it was, you know, exciting. I had no idea what I'd do. I was a good student. Maybe I could be a producer. Maybe I could be a researcher. What does that mean? <laughs> so I went and, you know, I'm, I'm there, I, you know, and I end up picking RTA, radio and television over journalism, just did. And, you know, with every class clown from Ontario, <laughs> oh, I've made this film and I've done this and I thought, oh, I'm really over my head. What am I going to do? But it was tremendously interesting. And, you know, quite frankly, the academic subjects, the history and the English and all that stuff totally interested me as well. And I had great teachers. So when I heard about this CFRB job, you know, how do you get experience? How do you get, did I know anything about radio? Did I want to be in radio? I don't know. <laughs> but I set my sights on that job and I focused, I managed to somehow meet the news director, this lovely guy named Don Johnston at some luncheon. And I was like, I'm applying for that job. And I did a little audition tape and I would phone weekly. This is classic, eh? Have you heard? Is it, do you know? And he'd, you, he didn't say, look, honey, I'll call you. He said, call me next week. And, you know, so I did. And there you go. I ended up getting this job because God bless CFRB. They did hire eight kids every summer to yes. do little one minute stories that followed every newscast yes. that talked about interesting things that were going on. And, you know, that job just so excited me and so interested me. And, and you nailed it. I mean, it it does kind of speak, I guess, in some ways to my personality and interest. Yes. And um, man, it was thrilling times. And so I ended up then keeping my relationship with CFRB Radio as I went back and finished my third year at Ryerson. And, you know, they would have me cover the Royal Winter Fair, <laughs> things that you might think now, oh, man. But, you know, for an 18, 19-year-old, that was just awesome to be out there with of my course. little Sony tape <laughs> machine and doing that. And then a miracle happened. They got a sponsor at the time it was Coca-Cola and they thought we're going to continue this concept of more positive stories. This is the seventies, you know, and CFRB is kind of a station for old people. They've got magnificent broadcasters there like Betty Kennedy and Gordon Sinclair, but they've got an older audience who might be looking around going, what's with kids these days? <laughs> you know, so we're going to do feature stories about young people and wow. what they're doing and what's interesting and exciting. So that parlayed then into a, my first full-time job. I went right from Ryerson at the time. I missed my graduation day because I got married. I was Aww. 20. I was 20, honest to Pete. Wow. And I started working full time right then and there. And so it was a sweet time of going out and learning how to interview people and talk to people and edit stories and put things together. You mentioned Coke. And would you have ever believed that you would go on to interview the president <laughs> of Coca-Cola <laughs> years later? That was a lovely interview. And he... <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah, no, I know. Well, they were the sponsors of, 
I think it was called the Youth Report. I, I always think of, you know, Ute. Yeah. Anyway, that's what it was. It's, it's dating me. Oh, my God. Well, most Canadians, Valerie, have always thought of you as the girl next door, the fresh-faced, cheerful, very likable host of CBC Midday, which you hosted for years with many leading men as your co-hosts, and of course, later Canada AM. But I'd love to go back to those legendary days with you as a co-host on the CBC. And I would just love to play this clip for our audience of some of the many co-hosts or leading men that you co-host. It was always Valerie and let's have a listen. Midday with Valerie Pringle and Bill Cameron. Good afternoon. This is Midday for Monday, January 7th. Midday with Valerie Pringle and Keith Morrison. Good afternoon. This is Midday for Monday, March the 4th. Midday with Valerie Pringle and Peter Downey. Good afternoon. This is Midday. It's Friday, April 28th. Midday with Valerie Pringle and Ralph Ben Mergy. Good afternoon. This is midday for Wednesday, April 1st. Midday with Valerie Pringle and Kevin Newman. Good afternoon. This is midday for Friday, November the 6th. Oh, they were the greatest men, honestly. You know, when I started midday, I was working with Keith Morrison and Bill Cameron. Bless him. They yes. were sort of lent to midday from the journal where they were working, the serious nighttime show with Barbara from, and yes. uh, to get midday off the ground. And man, you know, they both had such different styles, but they were brilliant broadcasters and great writers. And I learned so much from them. And then Peter Downey came after that, who was one of the funniest people ever, great guy. And then Ralph Ben Mergy, and then oh. Kevin Newman. Honestly, it was a sweet time. Yeah, I've, I've been I've been lucky. At one point, I think they, because a lot of people filled in, like just about every CBC broadcaster at one point or another filled in on midday, and they did a collage to the song, He's So Fine, at one point. And it was like every male face you've ever seen sitting next to me. I love yeah, that. Lucky girl. And on, it was always you. And honestly, I will say the one thing, Judy, that you didn't say in your kind introduction, girl next door, whatever, was the dreaded P word, which was perky, which is what I always got. And, you know, I hated that word, of course. It just sounded sort of mindlessly, um, <laughs> you know, keen on everything, of which I'm not. And it was so interesting reading Katie Couric's autobiography, which I found yes. really interesting. And there were so many things that resonated with me, even though obviously the she's different and the American system is different. But many of our life experiences and morning show and blah, 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 things are the same. But man, she got perky too. And I thought, oh, drop dead. <laughs> you never call men that. That's <laughs> true. That's true. But like you, she was the constant. She was always there with all the other co-hosts. It was Valerie Pringle. And anyway, that was so wonderful. Do you remember your audition for that show? Because that's heady stuff. I did. I came from radio, obviously, and, and I'd been called and asked. And so, you know, and <laughs> I remember changing the script, which is what I've always done. You know, like, oh, that doesn't sound like me. I wouldn't talk that way. I mean, not to be egotistical about it, but you've got to sound like a real human being. Yes. And I think that was one of the great things about starting in radio is that I develop my own style and ability to speak my own way instead of sometimes you see a TV person and it's almost like they're play acting a 
TV reporter or trying right, to be right. ballsy or something. So I remember the audition and changing script and not knowing, you know, you don't know where to look and you don't have those TV skills, but, you know, they can be acquired easily enough. And getting that job and... You know, I, I loved CFRB and I loved my little nighttime interview show and working with John Stahl. And it was sweet. I had little kids at the time. and mm-hmm. But onward and upward to a national program and with wow. pictures, it was, uh, and uh, you know, again, it was a sweet, sweet time in my career. Midday was an absolute joy because oh. it had this wonderful quality to it. I always sort of likened to the Zosky show in Morningside that really yes. kind of captured a version of Canada and warmth. And uh, the guests we had on were such wonderful, real people in addition to, you know, the famous people that came on. Yeah, midday, midday was a nine very happy years. I spoke to one of your young producers, Celia Bobkin, who actually has such a lovely memory of being at the original Bata Shoe Museum, which used to be upstairs from the colonnade on Bloor. And there you were together. I think she produced your segment and you were holding up one of these tiny little shoes. Remember those shoes that women would have to wear and fit into the three inch shoe, all those, that whole part of history. It's pretty crazy stuff. And just your beautiful interview with Sonia Bata. Do you remember that day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. What a, what a force she was, Sonia Bata. <laughs> yes. Yes. There were over 4,000 episodes of CBC Midday, and you were on the program for almost a decade, from 1984 to 1992, when you moved to CTV to co-host Canada AM. And I watched literally over the last couple of nights, I think every interview you ever did that's online, from your interview with Anne Murray to Jeff Goldblum, Martin Short, that wonderful interview with Henry Winkler, where you realize he loves teaching and directing just as much as he loves acting. Thompson Highway, what a wonderful man, and William Shatner. And what struck me in so many of the interviews was how natural, and I I have to say this again, and likable you always are, how relaxed you are. And then I saw your Instagram live that you just did recently with this remarkable young woman, Ashley Rose Murphy, a beautiful young girl who was born with HIV, who is one of the youngest spokespeople for CANFAR organization. You, of course, have been the longtime spokesperson for CANFAR for many years. And it was just the most wonderful interview. And it made me realize this could be Instagram. It doesn't matter. You don't need a set. You don't need anything. You've <laughs> got that Pringle effect. You've got that Valerie's shining illumination light about you. Judy. And no, honestly, <laughs> I, I could get over that interview on Instagram. What was, did well, you she's love- pretty spectacular, Ashley Rose Murphy. Yes. You know, as someone who can talk and as an example and an ambassador for Canfar and her life story is unbelievable. She's, she's fabulous. She's, you know, she, she doesn't need me to talk and do a brilliant interview. But there was a connection and it was mm-hmm. so compelling. And I watched every second of it and I just thought, wow, this is, this is great stuff. And I also noticed in one of your interviews, and I'm not going to actually say the name of the person because it doesn't matter in this case, but his arms were crossed a little bit defensively at the beginning. But because of your ease and your grace, it was so fascinating to watch how his arms loosened and relaxed. And by the end of the interview, he was just fully open and present. And is that a skill as well? Because it's, I don't even know if you know you're doing it, but it was so (laughs) fascinating. Is it a conscious decision? Like, because he went from defensive for, I think, reasons that were understandable, but 
you relaxed him so much that he was very open by the end. Well, you know, and obviously, I mean, this is what you do, Judy, when you talk to people. I mean, there is a lot to interviewing and you get better at it and you learn. It's not an instant skill. You see the early, early people doing interviews, going through the questions. How'd you get in this business? How long, you know, like they did, they're not even listening to an answer because they're yeah. scared because you're yes. terrified. Yes. So you, you learn and you have to listen, but you have to relax and be calm and experienced enough to really listen. Yes. You have to structure the interview. You have to think about it beforehand. You have to know a lot. You have to do your research. You have yes. to follow people down pathways. There's a seduction involved. You look at people, you're making eye contact. Mm -hmm. I did a presentation once at the University of Regina, have a journalism school and they have a lecture every year, the Minifee lecture. I remember because Minifee was a a great journalist and I remember them contacting me this a long time ago now as a candidate am saying, you've been selected to do the Minifee lecture. And I was like, oh, I hate giving speeches. No, thanks. I'm busy with job and kids. And they were like, no, 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 we're, we're not suggesting we're saying you are doing it this year (laughs) and so I had to think oh gosh you know all these big journalists had given this speech so I did it on interviewing you know that's what I know so the history of interviewing when it started and how it came as a form of journalism and how it came to convey our knowledge of people and our sense that we know people and you know what's involved in political interviews versus you know movie interviews and movie yes. star interviews and interviews that get you nowhere and people <laughs> who are overtrained to be able to deflect every answer like a politician so it's a dialogue <laughs> yes. of the deaf and you know <laughs> Yes. It's interesting. So there is a skill of, of interviewing. So maybe all those many years paid off. I think you had it from the get-go at, uh, at CFRB. You also seem like a very happy person. Did you have a happy childhood? Yeah, yeah. I had a, I was lucky, lucky girl. Grew up in Toronto, Moore Park, spectacular parents, brothers, sisters, you know, given the work I do at CAMH and stuff that you hear so many sad stories and interviews and stuff. So yeah, it does sound kind of trite to just say, yeah, I had a a happy, basically, you know, 1950s, 60s (laughs) childhood, great friends in school. And yeah, I'm enormously lucky to have had that kind of (sighs) support and life then. And, you know, I met my husband when I was 16. We've been dating since wow. then. So that kind of support and continuity and, and consistency. Yeah, I've been, um, I'm a very lucky person. There's people along the way that you've met, like June Callwood, who not only was someone you interviewed, but she became a mentor, a friend, I think almost like a family member. You said that when your mom passed away, you almost wished that June Callwood could be like your second mom. What was it about your remarkable connection with June Callwood? Don't answer that just yet. We're going to go on a short commercial break. More with Valerie Pringle when we come back. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. 
Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. Hi, everyone. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And I'm having a wonderful conversation with legendary host and broadcaster, Valerie Pringle. And just before the break, Valerie, I was just asking you to describe your very special connection with June Callwood. Well, she was just a spectacular human being. She drew many, many, many people to her. She's a hero to a lot of people just because of her personality, her character, her bravery, you know, the battles she took on. She was so impressive that she was always fighting for, you know, social justice for any number of people. And, you know, the city's still full of places that bear her name and that she set up place for, for moms to go and, and Casey House for, you know, at the time who was caring for and, and touching AIDS patients and stuff. Mm. So yeah, she just, and she herself had lots of struggles with mental illness and other things. She lost a son in a tragic car accident. You know, she'd had a lot of pain in her life, but. Mm. She was always a fighter and she was so impressive. Yeah, I know. I did think that. I remember saying that after my mom who died, who was the most wonderful person. I worshipped my mom. That, yeah, maybe after that, I thought maybe maybe June can be my mom. Not quite my mom, but like my mom. Your mom figure. I, I understand that. So I'm trying to picture you as this, well, it's, I don't have to picture you. I was there. I saw it. An extremely popular, respected broadcasting legend but also always as someone who had a tremendous desire to give back, to volunteer. You've always been outward focused like June Colwood. That's why I mentioned her. And you had many passions. And we're going to get to Cam H, which has been unbelievable what you've done. But one of your passions has also been the outdoors. You've always loved hiking and being outside. And you've been known to quote such philosophers such as Nietzsche, who wrote, and I quote, all truly great thoughts are conceived by walking, which reminds me of my late father, who was a real walker, also an Order of Canada like you. He he became a member of the Order of Canada in 2002. And so I was so touched when I heard about you getting that wonderful honor in 2006. And so all of a sudden, you decided to leave the daily grind of daily television in 2001 and become involved in one of your most passionate projects, the Trans-Canada Trail Organization, which you joined in 2002, served as chair from 2005 to 2010, and then became a member of the board, remaining with them for almost 20 years. And what I love about this is for this show, Finding Your Bliss and for Zoomer Radio, is just the whole reinvention of all of that, the pivoting that you did. And I know so many of our listeners can relate to in midlife. What ultimately prompted you to make this really giant leap into this arena and to sort of leave the daily grind of television after all of these hugely successful decades, not years, and go into this area? It was, you know, as you can imagine, not easy. And, you know, I left Candam around the time of my mom's death and it just, I was tired and it felt like time. I ended up doing a number of projects like the travel show, Valerie Pringles Left the Building and Antiques Roadshow and Test of Faith or, you know, a couple of documentaries and stuff. And it was fun. I, I liked that work, you know, and I was kind of at the time, like, what do I do? Do I look like a loser if I change this? Or, 
But the trail had always interested me. And we'd done a bunch of shows on Canada Am about the trail because I was always pitching them. I loved this <laughs> image of the red line linking the country coast to coast. And when I left Canada Am, that's the gift the staff gave me were meters of trail, you know, so my names in all these pavilions around the province because they, they knew how much I loved it. And then separately, I'd been asked to join the board. And uh, I'd been on a couple of boards and done that kind of work, but I ended up becoming chair, which was way advanced of my skill set. I'm like, I'm a broadcaster. I don't know how to chair a board because being chair is really a big thing. So I took that on and I did that for five years and it's endless meetings and government relations and fundraising and strategizing. These are not, not skills that I had. And then we create a foundation. Let's make a goal. Let's connect this trail for 2017. And we have to raise like $75 million. I'm going, how, how do we do that? But, you know, you grind through it and you do the work and you meet. And I had a great teams working with me. But really, I would say, Judy, it's my kids would say that too, that, you know, apart from my family, I'm not prouder of anything than the work I've done with the trail. My 40 year old son now, whose name is Tony, is now on the board of the Trans Canada Trail. Aww. So I sort of left them him as a gift when I left a year ago, but it was 20 years spent. I still think it's the greatest project in the history of the world. And I love the Trans Canada Trail and it's doing brilliantly. But there came a point a year ago where I was about to take over as chair of the foundation at CAMH. And that's a big job. And you're on the hospital board. And we've got a half billion dollar fundraising campaign going on now for a brand new, incredible research building at CAMH, which I think will, you know, change the game in terms of understanding mental illness and treating people better and that, you know, no one's left behind. So it was a perfect time to kind of make that switch. But both those jobs, to your point of finding your bliss, to get out of broadcasting and find projects that totally spoke to me. One being building a trail across Canada and the outdoors and being healthy and giving people a way to get outdoors for their mental and physical health. And then speaking to that whole issue of improving access to care and improving research and fighting stigma for mental illness and addiction. Those things matter to me hugely. I'm lucky I found those things and I could throw myself in. It's a ton of work. I don't do like honorary show up things. I'm <laughs> grinding it out in meetings and trying to solve governance issues and all kinds of problems. But it's been a total treat. And I will, I'll just say the one other treat is to find now after all these years, and you may be getting to this, I'm doing a show again. I'm in TV after 13 years. I know. Congratulations <laughs> I, on that. Oh, and that that's a big surprise and I can't tell you how much fun it is. And, and we're going to we are going to get to that cuz that's so great. But I I want to go back for a second just to say that to recognize your final term as chair of the Trans Canada Trail Foundation Board held a beautiful event in your honor and you can see this online everybody check this out expressing their gratitude for everything that you had contributed over the last 20 years and the Valerie Pringle Trail Builders of Tomorrow Fund was created. And when you were honored, the dignitaries that spoke on that video, not to mention your husband and your children. And I don't know, it was very, I was tearing up so many times oh, watching well, that. Well, you can imagine. <laughs> and, I uh, wept. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, and the things that people said about you, I'll just share this, were 
that you have the biggest heart, the widest smile, that you're inclusive, thoughtful, indefatigable, I can never say that word, let's say tireless, joyful, kind, persistent, a uniter, a gifted storyteller, attentive, and how really you are one of the nation's most inspiring trailblazers. Your Pringle factor is second to none, and you've left a legacy that's inspiring for so many generations. So you've really given us one of the greatest gifts to Canada as Canadians. So you really are a national treasure. I'm not just waxing eloquent, but it's true. <laughs> You're such an inspiration. What ultimately is the legacy? And, and, we're, and I want to go back to CAMH, and there's so many things we have to talk about, but the legacy with regards to that, that you want to leave behind with the Trans-Canada Trail Foundation. Trans-Canada Trail, I think, as I said, is nothing I'm prouder of. You know, I've cared about that. We went through some horribly tough times in that 20 years, especially when I was chair, I think, oh, we're going to go broke on my watch and it's not going to happen and no one's paying attention and the government's not listening or people aren't donating or they don't care anymore. And to sort of be able to turn all that around and when we connected the trail, not completed, we connected in 2017 for Canada 150. I mean, it's only started in 1982. It's just a massive achievement that, you know, and then there are a couple of spectacular women, uh, Melanie Vogel, Diane Whalen, uh, Sarah Jackson, who've walked it coast to coast. Diane Whalen, I think, is putting together a documentary about it now. Dana mm-hmm. Mizey is a man who wa- who's walked coast to coast to coast. There, are, People used to say to me, have you walked at all? I think, are you crazy? <laughs> no, it, it takes years of work to do that. I, you know, I've been on the trail everywhere in this country and met the trail builders and the volunteers and the people who do it. And mm. man, that was, uh, that's a gift. I mean, I've been lucky, Judy. I've been all over Canada between broadcasting and the trail. I've really had a chance to be everywhere and that's been amazing. It's a blessing. And I want to talk, of course, about the other charitable and philanthropic causes like CAMH. You've become a huge mental health advocate being motivated at first because of your family history and then later your daughter, Catherine, who sort of did this with you. And and I just applaud you for being so transparent and sharing because that's what is so needed. And I just am wondering if you could tell us if anything has changed with regards to mental health for the better. What do we still need to pay attention to as we attempt to move forward in what sometimes seems like a very challenging mountain to climb? Well, you know, it has been pointed out so often, I think COVID really exposed, if we didn't already know it, that there is a massive mental health crisis mm-hmm. in our country and all around the world. And Bell and others in terms of raising awareness have done a great job. And, and so many people, I mean, there is a point where it almost seems like there isn't a sports star or a movie star or a musician who hasn't suffered from mental illness and addiction because so many personal stories have come forward. And, you know, that's been hugely important. I mean, that's what, you know, Catherine and I did back in, I don't know when, 2005, 2006, we were on billboards. She and I talking about it as Cam H tried to put a face on mental illness and addiction. Yes. And, I, you know, I think, yes, converse, things have changed to that point. Conversations are happening, Judy, for sure. But I think what you hear 
pretty universally is access is still a real problem. Governments are hearing that. They know that. But we still spend less in this country on mental health services than other medical services. And that's, you know, we know mental health is health. You can't be healthy without your mental health. So, you know, that has to improve and we have to be able to see and treat people. You can't be on a waiting list no. forever. I mean, it's it's too urgent. And our young people, I mean, that's when mental illness, the onset is in young people. Mm-hmm. And so to sort of say we're trying to get helplines, we're doing this, it's getting better. But that kind of complete access to care. And then the understanding, I know I talked about the research aspect of what's going on at CAMH. I mean, so many of the medications and things that people are prescribing are decades and decades old. Mm-hmm. And the brain is the final frontier in terms of what we're trying to understand and people's specific DNA or, or whatever it is that helps them respond to treatment or not and talk therapy. So there are mountains to climb, but it is all very hopeful. You know, when I hear stuff, and again, it's it's going on all over the world, but CAMH is one of the centers of excellence in the, in the world mm-hmm. uh, in treatment and in research. So there are cusp of things and things are getting better in terms of awareness, but things are so much worse in terms of occurrence and in access. Mm-hmm. And something you talked about that I thought was so salient was that when you see an obituary, you'll never see the word schizophrenia. You'll never see the word suicide. But if it's cancer, people will say they fought a heroic and valiant, you know, fight, but they won't say the word suicide. And this has to change. And, and I want to just ask you, speaking of this, Stephen Twitch boss, his tragic death and suicide was so devastating to people because he was seemingly had everything. He had these three beautiful kids, this beautiful wife, this wonderful, you know, experience on the Ellen show. And he was the one in the pandemic lifting everybody up. What do you make of that? And how, what do we tell people? Because that was so heartbreaking because you just go, my goodness, what do we need to do? Did we need to ask him questions? Did we need to look for the signs? What do we do when the person's not being honest and open about what they're, the struggle they're undergoing, or they don't have a mother like you were to your daughter, seeing it, catching it, and helping her immediately? And now she has many children, by the way, and is a very happy, yes. wonderful uh, person. Yeah, no, her life has gone terrifically well, and, and yeah. Kath has you know, dealt super well and been able to with her anxiety and, and depression. So yeah, no, she's, she's awesome and in great shape. And getting help at the right time really made a difference. Of course. And having you and having... Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe, yes, I would say, Judy, to start with, I would put myself in the clueless parent department. When she was in her early teens and crying and crying, we're like, oh, she's nervous. She'll grow out of it. Like the Mm -hmm. dumb thought, you know, they don't grow out of it. Mm -hmm. You don't want to over-medicalize or over-react, but you don't want to underreact. And I would put us in the slow category until, you know, our daughter was in her 20s and curled up in a ball on on her bed sobbing and her muscles seized up. Did I finally go like, I think she's sick and she's suffering and she needs help. And I will say that about myself. We were slow. To your point about suicide, man, oh man, that's the hardest, saddest thing. And, you know, so much of it is unknowable. You know, we did a big campaign at CAMH recently, not suicide, not today. And that idea that we just, if you could only have a little bit more time for the families for, you know, they just, but to, you know, there are those examples 
people will say that often it's a famous person, you know, whether Anthony Bourdain or somebody, all of a sudden you go like, why, what didn't, you know, seems out of the blue. I mean, I don't think it is out of the blue, but that is one of the, you know, you don't want to say to families at all, you know, didn't you see, didn't you know, Mm-hmm. You no, know, oh, no, the pain. It's it's just like a, I think it's like a neutron bomb that just, mm-hmm. the, the effect on families, the effect on everybody when that happens is so profound and hate to say never ending, but it's, mm-hmm. it's really, really difficult. But mm-hmm. yeah, you just, I don't know, all you can do is try and talk and try and watch and try and understand. But don't be afraid to ask. If you feel it's happening, ask, are you really okay? I know you're saying you're okay as you're dancing on Instagram in the pandemic with your wife, but are you really okay? If you sense it, don't be afraid to ask. You have to speak it. You have to be brave enough to say it, right? Yeah, and, and, absolutely. And that might, be, that might be a start. I also love the hopeful thing, of course, that you talk about is that there is hope for the future and how we can see tumors and even Alzheimer's in the brain now. And you've said that one day we'll be able to see mental health in the brain too. I loved when I read that. I know. Well, I re- remember when, we, I think it was Aristotle Voinascos, who's our brilliant head of research. You know, he's a genius, homegrown amazing scientist. But I remember him talking about that. And uh, Dr. Sean Hill, who again is a, you know, when they said that, you can see this, we'll be able to see that. We just can't yet. I'm going like, wow. Yes. I can't wait. And I also love your four suggestions at the end of your brilliant talk. And again, I want to encourage all of our listeners to check out online. You can just go to YouTube and check out Valerie Pringle, her family story for the keynote speakers, Canada speech in 2015. And you said things like no shame, ask for help. You're not alone. Can you speak to some of these very important cornerstones that we need in order to move forward? Well, they are so fundamental and, you know, you sort of think you have to say that, but you sort of do. I think when people are struggling, confused, scared, you know, just saying the obvious is is helpful. It's a bit of a, a pathway. And, you know, certainly when it came to, you know, ending speeches, you know, first of all, no shame. I'm not ashamed of Catherine and kids of mine who've had anxiety or whatever, what the heck? Why would you be ashamed? Not (laughs) ashamed. They're not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. There is no shame. The not alone thing, I mean, honest to Pete, that has been echoed and echoed and echoed. I did an interview with Clara Hughes again. God bless Clara Hughes (laughs) for this new show I'm doing. And, you know, she says the same thing. I mean, honestly, Clara did yeoman's work at Let's Talk and Clara's Big Ride, but you know, she was saying it again, yet again, there is, uh, you know, you're not alone. And if you, if you think you need help, and it came to this point of access, you still have to seek it, call out, ask for it, ask anybody in your family, friends, teacher, someone you can speak to, doctor, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. please seek help. Mm-hmm. Oh, those, those are all wonderful things. Anyway, I cried again throughout your keynote. Uh, maybe I have a problem. <laughs> I'm crying a lot. Uh, Valerie Fringle, her family story. And I, I just, you've all got, got to listen to this. And I really wept when you quoted Leonard Cohn at the end saying, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. 
What is it about that quote that resonates so deeply with you? I know you've also interviewed Leonard Cohen. You know, it's funny because, yeah, it was one of my total faves and who doesn't swoon? (laughs) I spent my life swooning. I just watched the documentary (laughs) about about Hallelujah and seeing him again. But, you know, when I'd asked him, you know, what was the best line he ever wrote because he just, you know, worked so hard, sweated over everything he wrote, the poetry. Yes. Uh, yes. And he said, well, I don't think that way. And then he then he quoted that there is a crack, yes. a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And he said, I think I nailed it. But, you know, just before that, we've been talking about his own depression, which he'd suffered from for years and how he treated it over the years with alcohol and Prozac and Buddhism and lots of ways to deal with it. But of course, it resonates because I think we all can get that that sort of insight or, you know, pain pain can make you empathetic and understand and see. Mm-hmm. Absolutely true. Valerie, you have a great respect for Canadian psychiatrist David Goldblum, who was a great and still is a great mental health advocate. Tell me more about what you revere about Dr. Goldblum, who served as the senior medical advisor of CAMH from 2003 to 2022. I don't just respect him. I love David Goldblum. (laughs) He's, as we say in Latin, sui generis. He is one of a kind, an extraordinary, empathetic, amazing psychiatrist who, you know, made a huge difference in people's lives and wrote two really helpful books about what he's done. He served as the head of the Mental Health Commission of Canada. He was on the board I was on. So David and I'd be in a board meeting sort of seeing who could make motions faster. He'd sit there. I mean, he he could do a caricature. He can draw. He you know, he's basically a stand-up comedian. He's a theater critic. You know, he, I was saying this because we had, you know, a number of farewell dinners and, and chances for people to say goodbye and thank you to David, who had an extraordinary career at CAMH. He is really someone who's irreplaceable. He will go on and still continue to do amazing things. I'm sure yes. his patients miss him. Everyone at CAMH misses him. But he's one of the most extraordinary, warm, funny, smart, thoughtful, helpful people ever. Oh, love that. <laughs> So I know we touched on this, but I am so thrilled and I know all Canadians are. What made you come out of your semi-retirement and your almost 50-year broadcast career to host a PBS interview show called Canada Files, which debuts with its season four this March 19th on PBS stations all across the U.S. and Canada, significant spillover into Canada, featuring 13 half-hour interviews with celebrated Canadians. That sounds so good. I can't wait for March the 19th. (laughs) We're going to hear about some of the fabulous celebrities and thought leaders that Valerie is going to be interviewing on her show and more about this exciting new one-on-one interview show when we come back after this short commercial break. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. 
Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back and you are listening to Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And just before the break, I was asking you, Valerie, what made you agree to venture back into television to host this exciting new one-on-one 30-minute interview series, Canada Files. Well, it was funny, Judy, because I, someone I know named Jim Deeks created this show. God bless him. And he did three seasons of Canada Files. He put it together and the funding model and made it happen, working with first WNED, which is Toronto Buffalo PBS, and then, you know, available across their network. And he wrote me a, a year ago and said, I'm retiring. I think you should take over this show. And, you know, I've been out of it, I guess you say, 13 years, and I'm really busy with CAMH and other projects. And he's saying it takes about, you know, 60% of my time. And I was saying, I don't I don't have that. And of course, my husband went, of course, you should do it. Yes, you will. And I, I was I was nervous. Can I do it? Who's left to interview? So anyway, long story short, I'm loving it. We're almost finished the 13 interviews. They're about to go to air. I've had a ball talking to people, structuring the interviews, doing it again. It feels so right to me. And it's such a gift at this stage. And who gets, you know, besides you, uh, (laughs) long form interviews, you know, everything is two, three minutes now, except for the rare endless podcast. And sometimes the podcasts really feel endless. There's no (laughs) discipline. Um, So a half hour interview is a really sweet amount of time to get to know and hear from some really wonderful people. Oh, just love that. Can you take us back just because I I, I was looking so forward that I'm going to talk about it again at the end of the show. But can you take us back to that night? Now, I think you got named in 2006, but the investiture was in 2007 at the Rideau Center in Ottawa. You wore a winter white suit. I saw it. And, uh, and the wonderful... Judy, your research is quite <laughs> remarkable, I would say, Missy. You, <laughs> get, you. you get 12 out of 10 for research. <laughs> Thank you. What, what a compliment coming from you. What was that I mean, this is real heady stuff. It is. What was that night like for you? Well, it's, you know, when you're made a member or, you know, officer, companion of the Order of Canada, they have a lovely ceremony. And there's one in the morning where you could take family, three family members. I think I took one of my kids and I think my mother-in-law came and my husband. And, you know, you sit there and they go through the citations for all the people who are being inducted. And you sit there and think, oh, what am I doing here? Everyone, I think, universally has that feeling. And you're you're hearing, oh, here's so-and-so who's the postmistress of Smithers, BC, who, you know, <laughs> delivered this and gave people meals on wheel. And you're thinking, oh man, that <laughs> woman, she's amazing. And this doctor who invented this and this, you know, activist who did, you know, you're gobsmacked at the talent and the commitment and the activities of all these people. And you do universally feel, well, I better really do something now, (laughs) step up and deserve this. You know, and so I, of course, felt that. I know when I've talked to other people, including my husband, who's got an Order of Canada, that it's, you know, a wonderful 
thing. And so, and then the nighttime, you go to Rideau Hall and you're all dressed up in long gowns and, you know, sitting with the governor general, uh, Mikhail Jean, who's one of the people I interviewed actually for Canada Files. Mikhail uh-huh. Jean was the governor general then and um, gave me my order of Canada. People have conversations, but then you've got incredible musicians who sort of go into the room in Rideau Hall and start playing the piano or they sing together. And it, you know, it's such a great night. I remember getting on the bus to go back to the hotel (laughs) at the end of this evening. And this lovely old man, he was from Montreal. I don't know if he might have been a Molson or one of these famous names. And he said, that was the greatest (laughs) night of my life. And I think we all felt that way. It was, it was adorable to hear him say that. Wow. Well, well, my God, how, how well deserved, just beyond. And, and I know I'm, I'm not alone in saying that. What do you love? You've consistently displayed versatility and the ability to connect in every way with, with Canadians, in every way, whether you're on television, as you are again, thank goodness, and in every way, truly making you one of this country's most beloved and accomplished journalists, but also fundraising, philanthropist people. What do you love about sitting down as we're doing right now and doing an interview? Like, what is, like, do you remember when Fonzie, when Henry Winkler said, I used to love the acting, but then something just changed. And I, and I really loved the teaching. I wanted to teach people how to act and get through to them. But you still love this and it still loves you. What is it about it that you love so much? Well, the TV stuff and the interviews, which I've just found in the last couple of months, it is, it's, I like it, I think, because I know how to do it. You know, it feels good and you connect with people. And it's, you know, you know that. It's the conversations with people. So it, to get a chance to talk to Margaret McMillan or Eugene Levy or Mikhail Jean or Clara <sighs> Hughes and Eugene you know, Levy? Mark Carney. Oh, yeah, so they're, they're just so interesting and great. Roberta Bonder and, uh, oh, Louise Penny, honest to Pete, could anybody be more like dynamic and charming and amazing? So, I mean, that is, that's really fun, you know, get that access and be able to talk to people and feel like, okay, over the years, I've got that skill set. But to your point, Judy, it's fun. I love it. And I hope I do a good job and people watch and et cetera. Uh, And it's been hard work and worth it. But, you know, the other thing is, you know, I don't need to be on TV. I find that too. Like I find really great satisfaction in my work. It's going to a board meeting, a committee meeting, on a Zoom call about something, um, working on a CAMH problem, working for years on trail stuff or, or other things. You know, as long as you are active and engaged and trying to do things that are interesting. I mean, my husband's sort of an extreme case of I have to contribute, <laughs> but I, I can't imagine just going, okay, well, it's, you know, I'm old enough now. I can just go play golf or sit somewhere. I can, you know, it, that's not in my nature. So I think wherever it is, it would be, how do you make a difference? Where can I make a contribution with my skill set? I'm not very good at reading financial reports. <laughs> you know, there are lots of things I'm really lame at, even at my age, and I figure I'm not going to get better. But there are, you know, there are some things I can do and make a contribution. You think, okay, then that feels good. That's sweet. What is bliss for Valerie Pringle? Well, grandchildren. 
<laughs> you know, I'm pretty typical that way. I've got five grandchildren and I'm obsessed. Oh. So they're the heart and soul of everything there. So that's the most important thing for sure. And my and my kids, three kids. Um, I've got two dogs, love my dogs. And I walk them a lot. They're two big, smelly labs. And uh, <laughs> we, we spend a lot of time on the Trans-Canada Trail. And I like to get exercise and get out and walk. You know, my friends are really important to me. I've got dear friends. If I can still stay active enough, then that's sweet. And also the balance. Even back in my days, and if I think back in my 30s or 40s working kids, all that stuff going on, you know, it still was important to me to see friends get exercise, do that. My husband's way more extreme. So I can look at that and go, yeah, I, I'm not a workaholic by any means. I just really like to be engaged. So to keep time, you know, a bit for me, you'd advise that if you were my life coach, you'd be saying, <laughs> okay, are you doing enough of that? And I, you know, I hope I am. And I certainly can't see my grandchildren enough. They're just the greatest people. I can't wait for that stage. That's hopefully going to come soon. <laughs> it is. <laughs> the is it? Well, I, I have a married son, so I'm sure it's something that's in the works and a daughter with a long boyfriend, but long <laughs> so fingers crossed. It, we? You know, we, we all sound us old grannies the same, but it, it, it is, you know, it is the, the greatest gift. Wow. <laughs> Valerie Pringle, it's truly been an honor to have you on this program today, actually. And I, I, I knew this before, but you're a wonderful person. Thank you. <laughs> You're extremely kind. So thank you. But it's it's been a treat to talk to you and good for you for getting this message out and having these conversations and inspiring people yourself. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Valerie Pringle. Valerie, what is the best way for people to contact you and connect with you on social media? Well, I have Instagram. I think I'm vpringle1. <laughs> and, and also on Facebook too. I am. I've never been effective. You know, I'm not Jeannie Becker, uh, <laughs> who's like out there, out there, out there. But uh, you know what? I maybe should because I, you know, I'm going to have to, you know, do some promotion for this Canada Files TV series. So maybe I'm going to have to get more effective at using that and get, and also for getting the CAMH message out too, for sure, which is really important. So I, I'm, this old dog may have to learn some more tricks. <laughs> Sounds great. Is there a book in you? Is there a book coming? No. No. I, you know what? It's so interesting. I I feel like if I did a book, it would be quoting other people like June Callwood or Oprah Winfrey, people I've interviewed, you know, Oscar Peterson, my heroes that way. I mean, yeah, I've had some fun experiences climbing Kilimanjaro and Everest and seeing Canada and all that. But, you know, I don't know. I've always thought, eh, who cares about that? I, you know, better just get on with the work that I need to do. What was it like interviewing Oprah Winfrey? What, what, what happened? That was that the coolest? It was awesome. She's, you know, she is, she is a goddess. It was I, for one of her movies and I flew to Detroit, I remember. And yeah, it was, she is just impressive. That's for sure. When she talks, you listen. She's, she's got such a power of her convictions and she's, she's got that preacher quality, which she says, even as a little girl, she was standing up in church going, you know, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And you're going, Whoa. Okay. Well, I wasn't doing that. Oh, I love you're that. impressive. I love that. Thank you, Valerie. 
Each week, we spotlight a fabulous person like Valerie Pringle, who is living their bliss. So if you're an author, artist, yoga, meditation, or mindfulness expert, or really anyone who has found and is following their bliss, we would love to hear from you. We also love to feature singers, songwriter, musicians on this show. So if you're a singer, please reach out to us. Also, what did you love about today's show? Doi, as I would say. Are there any guests or topics you would love us to feature on Finding Your Bliss? Write to us at fyb at findingyourbliss.com. I'm also a life coach. If I can help you in any way, let me know. You can reach out and contact me at findingyourbliss.com slash coaching. I'm on Insight Timer, the number one free meditation app. And of course, you can always follow us at Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I love this part of the show, Bliss News, when I get to tell you about our fabulous Finding Your Bliss February giveaway, guaranteed to give you a feeling good boost, courtesy of the gorgeous boutique, Blush and Vine, which ships all across Canada and the US. They are generously offering a $150 gift card to their beautiful clothing shop, Blush and Vine, which offers a curated collection of wearable fashion. Sidra, your fashion friend, will be your personal stylist and is always available to help with sizing questions and more. And she's reachable via her website, blushandvine.com, or on Instagram at blushandvine, and vine is spelled V-Y. N-E. To enter this fabulous giveaway, all you have to do is follow us at the Bliss Minute and you'll have a chance to win this $150 giveaway. The contest is live right now and closes next Wednesday, February 15th at 6 p.m. Good luck, everyone, and happy shopping. I would like to thank our wonderful guest, Valerie Pringle, for being on the show today. Also, thank you to Mag Ruffman, Siobhan Kylie, producer Nayira Amani, audio engineer Juliana Yantiello, Senior Editor Lauren Kaminsky, Video Editor Sierra Brown-Rodriguez, Audio Producer Faz Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.